Hey, hey, howdy, Lincoln. How's it growing with you? It is time for How's It Growing, your weekly gardening connection, only here at KZUM Lincoln. Hi, I'm Bob Hendrickson with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. We plant Nebraska each and every day. My, oh, my, I've been dealing with technical difficulties down here trying to get things lined up on the uh, the old screen for, for break time, and uh, it just ain't working out. So I was just scrambling here before the show, stressing out over this whole thing. So thankfully, we got those messages played. Not sure it's going to happen uh, <laughs> for from here on out. So it is what it is. All right, folks, thanks for joining me today here on How's It Growing. I have Megan McGuffey on the program today from Community Crops. And Megan, is that you on the line? Whoops, wait, let me uh, let me get this. Oh, boy, can you hear me now? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I sure can. Sorry, uh, I don't like it. Somebody gets on the, the board here, down here at KZUM, and I don't know why you ever have to turn the phone off. You actually have to turn a on button on the board, right? And I'm like, why would you turn it off ever? So, uh, yeah, it, that wasn't said either. So kind of scrambling. That's the beauty of live radio. You can have stress. <laughs> so uh, hopefully everybody's hearing me okay and everybody's hearing you okay, Megan. So thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. So glad to be here. Yeah, Megan. So the heat is coming on, right? Blech. It's kind of a sultry day out there today, right? Absolutely. Great time to get your gardening done in the morning and the evening. Right. Uh, <laughs> yikes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're not talking about record-breaking heat, folks. So at least it's not 105, 106, 107. It could be. So it could always be worse, people. <laughs> well, Megan, uh, community crops. Gosh, what's what's going on? You've got some events coming up, right? You've got... Uh, all sorts of, gosh, I, the one I can always relate to is uh, the one over at uh, 46th and Pioneers. I think it's a great looking community garden and uh, it's the one I kind of, well, drive by not quite every day, but still quite a bit and just impressed with the amount of activity that's always taken place over there, the gardens that are, and I, and I think unless you're living on a rock, there's, there's people that, that still don't, aren't aware that there are community gardens in the city of Lincoln. And I think if you had your way, there'd be like 150 of them, right? <laughs> that's right, Bob. But we currently operate 12 here at Community Crops, but there's always room for more. And there's other great groups that are gardening around the city that we love to see. Yeah, no doubt. So Community Crops does great work, and uh, you actually are present at the Sunday Farmer's Market there in College View, right? That's right. Uh, the Community Crops does have a booth every Sunday, and we are there with our farmers that are in our beginning farmer training program, specifically our UZD Farmers Project, selling their produce that they grow out at Prairie Pines and Air Park Farm. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, gosh, I, I can't remember where the post was from uh, that I saw that, was it Community Crops that they darn near sold out of everything this last Sunday? I think there's a few farmers that have been doing really well at Sunday Market. You know, it's getting into that peak of the season and folks are excited and it's just been really great to feel the energy of the Sunday Market and how enthusiastic people are to support local farmers and local vendors generally. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, just a good crowd the last couple of weeks that I've been down with, you know, I think uh, the weather, of course, brings people out and about. And, of course, the produce season is uh, just really getting underway now. And, uh, you know, there, in fact, I was there 
and overhearing a couple in front of me, I think it was at Daniel's Produce, and saying that we've been all up and down the market and nobody has any lettuce. Why is that? And uh, it, it brought about a good education time saying, you know, well, it's the heat of the summer. The lettuce is just kind of not not doing its thing anymore, you know. So, I, you know, it's different uh, raising crops in Nebraska. We're not California people where, you're, you know, your lettuce is coming on a semi-truck every other day and uh you know you you've got it nice and nice and two weeks old already two weeks old maybe three weeks old right when you get it at the store but but lettuce it's kind of like eating in season right that's right and and i totally agree like the things you get at the farmer's market are going to last longer if they're properly stored because they are right from the field usually the day before the day of versus Things you get at the grocery store are often coming from very far away and have already been in storage for quite a while. So I do agree that like educational point is so important. And if you don't know this, most of our farmers markets and town folks, they do have like lists online. So you can kind of know in advance what sort of items might be at the market that week. And that can help you plan for that seasonality and what's available. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, yeah, and so take advantage of the Sunday farmers market, take advantage of all the farmers markets in and around Lincoln people and support your local farmer. And I, I know Megan, you're, you're, uh, you're passionate about growing our own food locally. And I don't know about you, but there's a, this little thing, this ongoing drought out in the Western part of the country and California, I think is experiencing what 20, 30 year drought, something like that. I mean, uh, it's one of those things where is it ever going to end? And if you've seen pictures, people, of Lake Mead, Lake Powell, the two biggest water reservoirs out west that basically provide California and other western states with their water supply, is at 28% capacity. And the prediction is next year at this time, unless things change, and I think we all kind of know, yeah, right, that's highly unlikely, it's going to get even worse. So are you concerned about our the sustainability of our food supply? You know, that's something we think about a lot here at Community Crops because food security is not just an issue experienced by low-income community members, and that is important. But our entire community lacks food security when so much, we predict over 90% of our food supply is coming from other places and they're experiencing supply chain disruptions because of climate change, because of global pandemics and other issues. So I do think it's so important that we strengthen our local food supply. And there's actually some really exciting stuff happening right now in the city of Lincoln that community crops and others are partnering on to try to plan for that future and secure our food supply in the community. Mm, what that might be. Well, um, the, the mayor of Lincoln has convened what is called the Community Committee on Local Food. And what this will do, it's a group of kind of 40 to 60 stakeholders that are actually going to come up with a community food plan for the city of Lincoln. And this is a, a really big deal. I know that sounds kind of boring to say, oh, it's a, it's a planning document, but plans are really important. And if this is done right, we hope it will be adopted by our elected officials as a chapter of the comp plan. And I think that's critical because, you know, you have a plan for your, your roads and your transportation system in a city. You have plans for your water system, et cetera. But your food system is actually, I would argue, another critical piece of infrastructure. And so a community should plan for it. They should see the challenges, the opportunities, and make long-term plans for how we can secure our food supply as a community because that's really critical to our future, especially because of all the challenges that you outlined. 
Yeah, no doubt. It, yeah, you have to plan ahead, and and that that means all of us planning ahead. And I think if uh, if you if you look at a typical neighborhood, um, you know, driving around Lincoln, you know, sure, most of the vegetable gardens are hidden in the backyard and whatnot. But man, you you know, you kind of look around and even look closely. There's not enough vegetable gardens out there. Uh, people are just not gardening enough. And so and just think of your neighborhood. If 10 of your neighbors were all gardening, I think we'd all be sharing in the bounty. And you'd be swimming in squash right now saying, man, you need some squash because I got plenty, right? And it's like, well, I don't necessarily need squash, but I could use some tomatoes. Oh, let's trade, right? And so then that bartering system and getting to know your neighbors just is huge and i think that's what the community crops circle has done is bringing our community together right absolutely i I love those points bob and and community crops we're very self-aware like we can only run so many programming sites gardens farms etc but we think the real strength is that education and that networking and helping community members do these activities in their own spaces by providing them appropriate support. So we would love to see the landscape of Lincoln transform and have way more food production and way more community sharing in the way you're describing. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, on that vein, you know, there's been a lot of new gardeners, new people gardening, and uh, I think trying to learn. And the biggest thing I think uh, for me is when somebody's new to gardening, if they didn't have success, will they hang in the towel? Or will they just say, well, I need to do it differently? And I think uh, everybody learned, you know, gardening increased during the pandemic. And I think we in the plant world were thinking, okay, once things kind of normalize a little bit, whatever that means, um, you know, they'll they'll say, okay, everything's cool now. I don't have to garden anymore. And, uh, you know, that's not true. And I, and I, we want people to be successful. So is there some resources, uh, on community crops, uh, within community crops where people are trying to start a garden? Is there some educational opportunities they can, they can tap into? Yeah, you know, we slowed down with some of our traditional education during the pandemic, but we're trying to come back stronger than ever. So first of all, I would say you can check out our website and our YouTube page um, with the Sweet Lincoln because we do have a series called Mowing to Growing where we do have some of those like getting started, uh, building blocks sort of videos on how to do basic things, whether it's seed starting, establishing your first garden, container gardening, that's been really popular because people don't always have a yard. Uh, so we are trying to provide that education in non-traditional formats. But uh, Community Crops also recently got an Urban Ag Innovation Program grant from the USDA. And so coming into the next three years, we're hoping to greatly expand the number of community workshops and educational opportunities that we're offering for farmers and gardeners. So you can expect to see a lot more opportunities from us to help give people that knowledge they need to be successful local growers. Well, good for you putting that in your in your to do list because, uh, as as you know, it's it's huge. And I think uh, the more people you kind of put under your umbrella for education, the better. And uh, you know, if I had my way, there would be like some sort of uh, public garden in Lincoln. We would kind of convert our gar- our our parks, if you will into either food forests or uh, you know something a little more sustainable so the city's not having to pump all these resources into mowing 
um, all of our city parks. And if you've noticed, people, there's not a lot of folks hanging out in those city parks because it's wide open sunshine and grass and it's just hot. And, you know, why not a park stuffed full of trees or a park stuffed full of gardens? I think, uh, to me, that that's my dream for the future for, you know, why did you move to Lincoln? Oh, it's got a great park system and wonderful trails network. But do you really hang out in that park? And, uh, you know, parks, uh, you know, way back in the day when they were first brought into all of our lives, well, not everybody had an air conditioner, right? So people would hang out in parks for for entertainment, uh, just to escape the heat of their hot box of their house. Some people would even sleep in the park, right, to escape the heat. I mean, there's images of people sleeping on the Capitol lawn uh, during a heat wave of back in the 70s, I think it was. Anyway, but yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think outside the box here a little bit, going, how can we do this so it doesn't take us 20, 30, 40 years to do it? More, more like, you know, a five-year plan, <laughs> right? Yeah, I love that, Bob, and, and excited to hear those ideas and hope you'll bring them to that food planning process. There will definitely be opportunities that we'll announce coming up for any member of the public to share their feedback and help us make this plan really reflect the, the great ideas of everyone in the community. So I love that. And I did also want to share, we have been growing and expanding our partnership with public lands in Lincoln, and I'll give you a few quick examples. Um, so we've had a, a garden in Peter Pan Park for many years, a community garden. We love that partnership. But just recently, last year, I think when I was on the show, we talked about um, the Lincoln Airport Authority. They helped us convert over some conventional ag land into a, a new farm for local growers growing produce for the city. And then finally, our newest partnership is that there's going to be a new garden at Gear Library uh, coming mm. up next year, which is really cool because it's, it's great secure land access for us. And like you're mentioning, you know, the city was just sort of mowing this empty sunshine filled plot of land next to the library now there's going to be a great resource in a garden and and also connecting to all the other great resources that our libraries have to offer so we're really excited for that one to open up next year and hope it just continues our trend of expanding those partnerships on public land yeah that's really cool so gear library there at 48th and normal so i'm picturing that there's a pretty big area to the east of the library is that where you're talking about you got it yeah so yeah on um, starting construction this fall is our hope and opening the garden next spring too cool yeah that's great and i know way back in the day uh, my grunwald had done a prairie landscape for them around gear so gear's always been kind of like thinking outside the box a little bit and now that now it's getting converted into a actual garden space and man there's there's spaces all over the city like that right where you know i mean i want to say that things is it the length of a football field i mean it's pretty big isn't it it's a decent size yeah and i totally agree with you there's there's spots all over town and i think we have to prove these concepts work and then we're, we're really lucky in lincoln because the one thing we aren't lacking is land and that's not the case in every community when they think about urban ag so right. it's all about just using the land we do have in the right ways no doubt and thankfully we have this little layer of, of stuff we call topsoil that uh all it's doing is waiting for an opportunity and, uh, you know, feed the pig, as I like to say. So feed the soil, feed the soil, get it organic, grow some great stuff, and uh, and then feed the soil again, and it will pay dividends. And I think what you'd mentioned, too, it's, it's like, uh, 
you know, to the city, what's, what's in it for them? Well, of course, like you said, you need a model to show them this can be successful. So they're like going, okay, we don't want this thing to turn into a weed patch. Then we're going to hear it from people and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so they always have their concerns. But one thing that I'm sure that they listen to is this is going to reduce your demand for having to mow more spaces and hire more help and, and buy new lawnmowers when those riding lawnmowers are not cheap people. We're talking you know, twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, depending on the size of the mower. So that's just a huge chunk of the Parks and Rec's budget that could. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could just eliminate? Oh, we don't. We instead of buying three mowers this year, we only had to buy one because that land has been reduced so much. So it's just in the city's best interest to to go this route. Yeah, I love the vision, Bob. We're, we're excited about it and want to keep building on these partnerships so that we can transform the landscape in a really deep way. That's cool. Okay, so Megan, tell me, uh, you've got some events coming up. Do you have any, first of all, before we get to your big babies, uh, do you have any education and classes right now to tell our listeners about? Yeah, right now we do not have any upcoming education classes. Like I said, I expect those will kind of pick up uh, coming into the next season. Uh, but we are really excited to bring back our educational series. And in the meantime, really encourage folks to check out that Moan to Growing series of videos online and, and give us your ideas for what workshops you want to see in the next three years that we'll be able to accomplish. So uh, looking to bring more of that forward soon. Okay, that's great. And, uh, yeah, those videos, I know it's easier said than done getting those produced, but, man, they go a long ways. And I'm sure, you know, you guys are or hoping to do more of that. And I think nothing speaks louder than, than, you know, everybody goes to YouTube to say, okay, how do I grow lettuce or how do I do this, right? To, to have your, your take on that, uh, kind of your own series um, will, will be huge because I think uh, we're very visual and uh, for me at least I'm very visual so I can see, you know, in a video, it's much easier to understand than reading a paper, you know, right? And in gardening, because there's so many what ifs and uh, you know unforeseen things that happen <laughs> with gardening uh, that that only experience can can help alleviate. So okay, so um, let's see. Um, well, well, let's talk. We'll go ahead and talk about now um, your um, master food plan. So um, you know a, a master food plan that crops is participating in. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so that's that mayor's committee I referenced earlier. So um, it'll be about a 12-month process where uh, the mayor's convene this group of 40 to 60 stakeholders that includes community crops. And we are going to be writing a food plan for the city of Lincoln that we hope will become part of long-term policy. So guiding the vision for where we want our food system to be in the future for our local community. And again, it's so important to get that adopted into policy because that lasts uh, beyond any particular political administration or current trend. It helps guide the activities of local government well into the future. You know, like our current comp plan, I think is 2050 time horizon. So you can really see the value of coming up with a plan that sets a vision in the long term and helps wow. meet some of the challenges that are coming up. So if people wanted to get involved with that master food plan, um, how should they stay connected so they're aware of when a meeting is coming up and they can give their input? Yeah, great question. I think that the, the, the bulk of the public input opportunities will start this fall uh, when the city really launches their process and hires some of their contractors. 
So I would say keep an eye out generally. And another great place to follow along if you don't already is the Lincoln Lancaster County Food Policy Council uh, Facebook page because we will also be following that process really closely as community advocates and making sure the community members know when there are opportunities for public input. Too cool. Well, you made me think of giving a shout out to Open Harvest and uh, their venture to to move uh, in the Telegraph District and uh, that fundraising going along well and, and keep up the great work, Amy Tabor. And, and uh, folks, you can support that move. And, you know, a uh, longtime institution down there between 16th and 17th and South, but uh, they're moving on to uh, bigger things and better things and new locations serving a, a vastly uh, under-served under area of Lincoln uh, as far as grocery store options and local food and organic food. And so that's just a, a really cool thing. And uh, there's there seems to be you know, every year there's kind of new markets showing up and, and, uh, maybe one fades away, but another one comes up. And what, what is your vision for the future as far as, okay, we've got all these community crops. Is there room for more farmers markets in the city of Lincoln? Do you think? Yeah. You know, I think it's kind of whatever the community demands. And I think it's meeting people where they're at in multiple avenues. So I love a good farmer's market. I think that's an important way people can access local food. I also want to be honest about the challenges for farmers, which is you show up to market and you don't know whether or not the weather will be good or there's something else going on in town. So I think we got to keep growing farmers markets, but we also really need to talk to those big institutional buyers and make local food more normal in all of our food purchasing venues. So Mm -hmm. making sure our restaurants are sourcing more locally. And if you're using your buying power as a, a consumer, you know, go to restaurants to buy from local farmers. And then also our grocery stores. So Open Harvest, you mentioned, they're they're one of the leaders in the community. I think it's something around 30% of their products are locally sourced. And wow. that's huge. And that's a no huge doubt. economic value for Lincoln because that's a greater, it's a multiplier effect when you're purchasing locally versus purchasing from faraway places. Um, yeah. But we can see our high bees, our Russes, our super savers, they, they're all purchasing some locally. And I think they could keep growing that. Uh, Lincoln is also a really cool community because we have a lot of ethnic grocery stores from different communities here. Um, For example, our Yazidi Farmers Project, a lot of our farmers are selling to local Arabic and Yazidi markets. And so those products are coming really locally sourced and they're providing products that are hard to find in Lincoln otherwise because they're growing culturally important crops. So I think it takes everyone. Uh, You know, another great example is Chef Nazim Khan from Bryan uh, Healthcare System. Um, He's sourcing locally from farmers, getting that into the hospital. So, you know, hospitals, school districts, grocery stores, they're all farmers markets. They're all part of the picture when it comes to growing local food. Yeah, that's great. And now we just, you know, you know, the farmers, like you said, you know, thank your farmer when you're going to the farmer's market because they had to be up early that day getting ready to bring that produce to you. They probably had to work Friday night while you were out calivanting around having fun. And uh, they're out in the field uh, making sure they have this stuff. So they're working hard to bring this to us. So don't forget to thank them for being there because I think it makes a difference, at least a little bit, people. So, and, and if I had my way, uh, these farmers coming to the market would never have anything to bring back home. It would always sell out. And uh, that's not always the case, but uh, by golly, 
a good thing that you're strolling through the market at 1.30 and you're like going, there's nothing left. Well, yeah, that's right. That's our goal. <laughs> Next time, show up at 10.30. No, but anyway, uh, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a huge challenge. And uh, like you said, supplying all those more commercialized um, entities, large entities like that, you know, they have their demands. Well, we need our product and we need it consistent. And, uh, you know, that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take more land. It's going to take, you know, can that be done uh, within urban agriculture? Well, it sure can uh, to an extent, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look uh, all over the world, the majority of food is grown in or very close to cities. So this is definitely possible. And when you look at a food system, I like to use the concept of the food shed. Like we have a watershed. So like what's the the geographic land base that's required to feed a given population. And so let's do as much as we can in the city. Let's transform those lawns into food growing spaces. But let's also know that many of our farmers are going to be right outside the city or a little farther out, depending on the products they're growing. And that's great. And that's still local food. And it takes all of us to kind of get, get across the finish line as far as increasing our local food sourcing. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Good stuff. All right, Megan, I got to take a break here in a few minutes, but let's uh, let's start a conversation and talk here about uh, a big upcoming event uh, that you have coming up. Well, well, first of all, um, let's see the feast on the farm and that is coming up. Gosh, when is when is the date for that? Yeah, so this year we're going to be back on August 20th. So that's a Saturday. It'll be in the evening starting at five o'clock out at the Prairie Pines Training Farm. So really excited to bring this event back bigger and better than ever. Uh, Going to be about 15 local chefs and breweries wow. bringing you some of the best food. It's an incredible meal every year, uh, and we'd love to have you out there. Yeah, that's great. And folks can go online to get tickets. This is a, a great fundraiser, a way for you to support community crops every year. The annual Feast on the Farm out at a beautiful location there at Prairie Pines. If you've been out to Feast on the Farm and it's been a while since you've been out there, um, I don't know, Megan, do you still, are you going to, you don't go for that big tent. And that, if you remember people back in the day, they had a huge tent and uh, it was it was a great, great setting. But that a tent is an expense, right? That you guys, ugh, I mean, it's like a chunk of change for a, um, you know, footing out when you're having a fundraiser and then, you know, you're trying to uh, realize profits with that fundraiser rather than expenses. Well, are you eliminating that big expense of a tent then? Well, you know, we did, and, and really because it wasn't the most comfortable thing for our attendees. You know, it gets kind of stuffy under there, and the way the sun hits on the farm, you know, people even under the tent were still getting sun for most of the event. So what we've done is working with our partners out there, we've moved the meal up to the Arboretum. So you're, you're like in the forest in the shade of the trees with lights and live music. We did it for the first time last year. We're continuing it this year. It has an incredible vibe. And then, of yeah. course, there will still be opportunities to walk down, tour the farm, meet the farmers. But we just want to make sure everyone's enjoying the, the cool shade of the forest uh, as they're enjoying their meal. Yeah, it's just a really uh, pretty venue now. And, well, not that it wasn't before, but still, it's just really cool. And uh, so kudos to you guys for making that move. I think it was a good one. And, uh, you know, um, I'm sure you're going to order some great weather there for August 20th at 5 p.m. And purchase uh, people can purchase tickets online and uh, just go to communitycrops.org. 
And uh, you can look under their events drop down for the Feast on the Farm and uh, join us there and have a have a lot of fun. Meet, meet some local chefs and chat with them and thank them for being there. And, and of course, they're giving back community crops, too, on that day. So, uh, yeah, come on out. And that is again on Saturday, August 20th. Is there a deadline to register? We would love for people to register in the, uh, before the, the end of the month if possible. That just helps us get that good count and make sure we've got more than enough food for everyone. So, yeah, we sure appreciate everyone signing up, and we'll advertise when we're getting close to closing that event out for new purchases. Too cool. All right, Megan, I'm going to keep you on the line, and we'll take a break here, and then we come back, we'll chat more. Thanks. All right, thanks, Megan. All right, that's Megan. We'll be right back right after these messages. Okay, we are back. Man, I might have been experiencing some issues here today on the program. Well, the beauty of live radio, but McGuffey joining me, Executive Director of Community Crops. Thanks again, Megan, for joining me today and this hot July day. And uh, I'm I'm curious, Megan, um, you know, do you do you garden at home then? Yes, I do, Bob. I've got a big garden I enjoy every year. Too cool. So what are you right now that you've been harvesting? Well, the tomatoes are just starting to come in, which is always an exciting moment. It's so hard to wait. And I usually like the big slicer tomatoes and the heirlooms, but I always plant a few cherry tomatoes because I'm impatient and they are ready first. So right. I tried a variety this year called Cherry Falls that I'm pretty excited about, a nice red cherry tomato that's great for containers. Oh, Cherry Falls, huh? And and so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, that container gardening getting uh, more and more popular. And there's, there's selections of vegetables out there that were specifically bred for container gardening, right? The little bush type ones. And I'm assuming that's where that tomato is. Yeah, it, it just kind of has more of a, like it drapes over the edge of things. It's not as tall. So we're trying to experiment and learn here on the community crop staff because we have heard such a demand for that. So we want in our plant sales and in what advice we can give to people, bring in more information about bush, patio, and other varieties. Outside, just outside of town. I didn't even know Lincoln had a pet cemetery. You so this, Yeah, so this dude uh, contacted me, I think, if I remember the story, he contacted me about trees he could plant on his property. So I went out there and met with him and uh, to talk trees. And then I end up discovering that he was big into container vegetable gardening. So this guy had, I don't know if you've ever heard of grow bags, these, uh, yeah. yeah, there's grow bags through, uh, oh, there's a place out there in the world called rootmaker.com. And if you go to rootmaker's website, you'll see what they, what we mean by grow bags, people. And there's, there's grow bags that you can purchase that are all different sizes, like uh, one gallon, five gallon, 10 gallon, even 15 gallon, these big boys. Well, this dude that owned the pet cemetery, he had some grow bags. I'm telling you, there were some three feet across, right? <laughs> so it's a container uh, you know, basically a container above ground. And he had these things sitting on pallets out in his parking lot. And so they were on pallets, he said, because if uh, a hailstorm was coming, he could quickly put his uh, pallet jack in there, jack it up and bring them inside the garage. I thought that was pretty ingenious uh, being able to do that. But the thing I wanted to bring up for anybody interested in container growing is the containers critical, right, Megan? And and I really think those grow bags, uh, there's one specifically called a root trapper bag. 
and the root trapper, all one word, if you Google that, is uh, has a, a white outer coating. So mm. rather than a black plastic pot that really heats up, if you put a thermometer in a black plastic pot that's out in the full sun into that soil, a soil thermometer, I mean, they've done studies on this where that, that hot black plastic pot that absorbs all that heat will actually cook the roots mm-hmm. and uh, the plant's not doing so good. So. Uh, the good thing about the root trapper bags is this guy that invented them, can, why not a white one? And I'm like, gosh, finally somebody made a white one. And it's funny because when you try to get those white ones introduced into commercial um, or retail uh, uh, garden store operation, they were concerned about switching to those white containers because they didn't think the customers would like them. Mm. And I'm like, oh boy. So we've got a long ways to go when we're concerned about uh, what the customer thinks of the color of our container, let alone what the container's doing for the benefit of the plant. That's really what matters here. And so anyway, these root trapper bags, they, they basically have thousands of tiny little holes. That, so when you water it, there's not just three or four drain holes down the bottom mm-hmm. of it. It kind of sweats out the side of it through those tiny little microscopic holes. So it, 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 it takes the water so much better in that container rather than wasting half the water going out those drainage holes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really cool. So I encourage you to look into them, Megan. And, you know, maybe you could start a trend where you're like, uh, we're, we're, we tried these grow bags. They work great. Uh, here's the size we recommend. Here's the soil mix we recommend you put in there. And, uh, you know, and here's the type of plants you could put in. So I think it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we just need to do. Yeah, I appreciate that, Bob. I think we're really trying to educate ourselves because we, we had been so focused on in-ground gardening, but it is the future and there are people being creative, you know, to have container garden being an option. So we're going to continue to educate ourselves and, and try to give that information back to the community and what's helpful and I love hearing stories like that at the pet cemetery. Another cool example is tailgate gardens. I think they have a Facebook page, but it's someone who had kind of a gravel lot behind their business. And instead of just letting it sit, they, they found a way to put a bunch of containers up and they're growing gardens there and kind of sharing photos and their experience. So there's lots of people in Lincoln figuring this out. And I just am so impressed by it every day and just kind of want to keep learning and growing in that space. No doubt. You're right. There's stories all over, like, of, of businesses. I think of Bosch and a friend of mine, Brian. Uh, he, they, he and a number of other employees there at the workforce garden back behind the building uh, as well. And I think for employees uh, and, and for business owners, too, they can look at this saying, what is the benefit of working at Bosch, right? What's the benefit of working here? Well, you'll have access to this community garden back here. And they go, ah. Oh. Well, either you're going to say, well, I really don't care, I don't garden, or you're going to say, wow, okay, I have too much shade at home. One thing I would like to have is a full sun garden, and here's my opportunity to have that full sun garden. And I think it it creates employee camaraderie, and it creates an opportunity for you to maybe, maybe your job is a really stressful job, and you need to kind of get out and kind of, I don't want to say take it out on the weeds, but I'll say that. (laughs) You want to go out and take it out on the weeds over your lunch break? More power to you, right? Oh, absolutely. And I I think people definitely undervalue like the therapeutic benefit of just gardening and time in nature. So I know if I've had a tough day at work, the first thing I want to do is go out in the garden and pull some weeds and think things through. So I, I think it's great having those close to workplaces, hospitals, 
anywhere people might feel a little bit stressed out because that, that time in the garden can be really healing and a great way to connect with other people, like you said. Yeah, no doubt. Like, yeah, you get to know your employee better rather than, hi, Joe, in the morning, how's it going? You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you can actually get to know them and their family and, and whatnot. It, it opens the door for conversation that you wouldn't have had or maybe had an opportunity to have in the workforce. So. So get out there and make those gardens, you corporate campuses, you. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Okay, Megan, well, back to your garden. So um, do you see yourself like, like, like how many different things, like what are your favorite things to grow? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, I do love tomatoes. Specifically, I like to say I'm a bruschetta gardener. That's my yes. favorite summer dish. And so I always go for variety as far as color because I love to have like this really fabulous rainbow bruschetta every summer. So mm. I just am always going for like, do I have as many different colors of tomato represented as possible? Yes. So I'm experimenting with some new ones this year, like the cherry falls and a Ukrainian purple I found. So mm. Mm. excited about that. Uh, I'm also continuing to experiment with basil varieties. So I I love that good Italian um, basil flavor, and so just just testing out whether it's lettuce leaf or the classic Genovese, just Uh always kind of seeing what works. So those have been some fun ones. Um, And then I just always have to give a shout out to those Mexican sour gherkins or the cucamelon. It is one of my favorite plants. It's this kind of cucumber that's, I believe, native to, to parts of Central and South America. And it looks like a teeny tiny cherry tomato sized watermelon, but it actually has a cucumber flavor. So I, I, it's just one of my favorites. And when your cu- your bigger cucumber plants start to get blight and other problems later in the season, the cucumelons are so small that they just kind of keep on trucking. And it's a great way to get a lot of little bite-sized snack cucumbers out of the garden. And I imagine being native to uh, Central America and Mexico, it's uh, it's very heat tolerant, huh? Absolutely. So that never hurts here in Nebraska. Cucamelon. How is that? Is that what you said? Cucamelon? Yeah, I think the official name is Mexican sour gherkin, but you know, it looks okay. like a cucumber melon because it looks cool. like a little watermelon. So, but it tastes like a cucumber. Is that like the, it, did you find out about that because of the, the community crop, uh, community garden presence? Uh, somebody was growing it and you said, I have to have this. Is that how that worked out? You know, I think it might have just been in my normal perusing for new seeds uh-huh. every year is how I first found it, but we do sell them at community crops now. And the other thing is we're always trying to think of like not only what, what plants do the general public want and our gardeners want, but we also like to provide some plants to kids' gardens, and that's always a big request we get. So I love that plant because if you, you talk about something where a little kid can just walk through a garden and pick something and try it, it's bite size, it's perfect that's a great plant for that. So that's the other reason I'm really a big advocate for that one because I love making gardens interactive for the kiddos and that's a great way to do that. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, as you were talking too, I was thinking, uh, mentioning to our listeners, um, you know, it's it's garlic season right now, folks. Uh, you know, right around the first part of July. Here we are sitting at July 13th already. Oh, no, July's half, almost half over. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, you should be harvesting your garlic now, and uh, it should be ready. And, you know, if you haven't grown garlic before, if you haven't grown any sort of vegetable before, may garlic be your first crop because it will give you confidence would you say that megan absolutely it's really fun and it's kind of a plant and forget in the fall and then it's one of the first things you really get to enjoy in the spring besides your cool season crops so it's really fun 
It is. And, uh, you know, and, and what's great about it, people, is you can go to the farmer's market because you, you could go ahead and go online and say, okay, I'm going to order some garlic because you want to plant it in the fall. And usually for most people, it's mid-October when we, when we like to plant our garlic, right? And so I usually... I'm like, when I, I, I used to save the biggest cloves, and I still kind of do to a point, depending on how big my garlic got, but uh, the, the garlic head. But the bigger the clove, people, the bigger the garlic head you're going to have the following year. So what I'll do, Megan, is go to the farmer's markets late in the season and, uh, and kind of spread the wealth. I'll look and see, kind of carouse around and see, okay, I see four different vendors are selling garlic today. Let's go through and see, okay, I'll look at their prices. They're all pretty much the same, maybe a quarter off, whatever. Uh, that's not going to make a difference to me, but I like mixing it up and saying, all right, I'll get a pound from this person, a pound from this person, and pretty soon I got four pounds. And you may say, oh man, that's a chunk of change. That's expensive. Well, it's not really because you're going to be taking that home and growing it and quadrupling your numbers. If not, you know, uh, it's more of an investment. So invest in that. And I'll tell you, people, you could go online and order garlic heads, uh, organic garden heads, whatever you want to get online. And you're going to pay more because of shipping than you would just picking up those nice heads at the farmer's market. So it's a good way for you to get started with the garlic and support garlic. That's for sure. And uh, you'll be glad you did. I love that, Bob. I think that's such a great crop to start with, and it stores well. And I think just about everyone knows how to use garlic in cooking, so it's a great, great place to start. No doubt. And the fresh stuff is just uh, wow. It's amazing, especially for your bruschetta, as you say. My oh my. <laughs> and it's also pesto season. Uh, I've made the mistake, Megan, where. I've waited too long, wanted to get my, my basil plants to get bigger, and if I just wait, I'll just harvest it all at once. And, and I don't know about you, but I think there's kind of like a, a, a two-pesto season, you know, that's like the July pesto season where, okay, I'm going to pinch you guys way back, maybe cut the plant back by 50% right now, because right now the plant's saying, I'm going to kick into, the days are getting shorter, so you're going to see... Uh, the basil plant trying to bloom extensively right now. It's like every day, it's like, I just pinched those darn flowers off two days ago and there's a whole new crop of them. Yeah, the, the plant is going into that reproductive state, folks. It's the, the vegetative state before the longest day of the year. And then after the longest day of the year, most plants switch over to that that more reproductive stage or flowering, producing seed, and then I've done my business. So you trying to trick that basil into producing more foliage is what you can do by, by pinching off those flowers and cutting the plant way back, making a bunch of pesto, and then waiting more like for late September because uh, basil plants uh, uh, hate anything below 50, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Absolutely, and they kind of get like mildewy and stuff like that. Yes. And it gets woody, so yeah, get it while it's, it's fresh and good and, and experiment too, right? Like you can make pesto out of more than just basil. I feel like we could do a whole workshop just on yes. that. You know, there's so many fun plants you can make pesto with. 
Yes, no doubt. Uh, the, the garlic scape pesto, we've got that in the freezer. Arugula pesto we have in the freezer right now. And what we do, Megan, is we, we'll make a big batch and then put it in a Ziploc bag. And my friend Sharon taught me this. Don't just put it in. Like you can use ice cube trays, right? Make individual ice cube tray sized pesto blocks if you want. But putting it in a Ziploc bag, like a quart bag, and then flattening out that bag. So when you take it, so easily, easily to stack in the freezer, first of all. But when you pull it out, uh, it's easy to just break off a corner piece or half of it, a quarter of it, whatever you want to break off and put it right back in the freezer. Because I've been guilty of thawing out the whole thing and then I don't get it eaten in time and then it ends up going bad on me. Smart. I love those gardener hacks. That's really important, especially in that preservation stage of gardening. Yeah, so it's really a, a, a fun thing to do. And, and like I say, breaking off that piece and putting it back in the freezer, it's like, boom, this is going to last me for weeks, man. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, and so pulling out pesto in the middle of wintertime that you grew from the garden, that's a pretty fun thing. So, all right, Megan, so um, anything else that from the vegetable garden that you say, oh, man, either you discovered or you can't live without growing and you want to encourage us all to grow because it's so darn dependable? Is there anything else you want to add to your wish list? Oh, man, I mean, dependable. There, there's so many great things out there, easy ones to start with, like green beans and the like. But I would say another favorite or essential of mine is I've been really getting into sort of edible flowers. I think that is just such a fun way to add some color to the garden and, and also something that makes you feel pretty fancy when you're cooking. So I love like nasturtiums and borage where you can harvest those flowers. And in the case of nasturtium, the, the plant itself, you can make pesto or something out of. And I, I just think those really, it just kind of mixes things up in the garden and, and gives you some real visual interest as well as something that's edible. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned nasturtium. It's definitely nasturtium season right now. And nasturtiums are, man, it's got a funky flavor, people. I think if you don't like horseradish, if you don't like, uh, I think it's similar to wasabi even. Um, if you don't like that spicy, pungent flavor, you're probably not going to like nasturtiums. But if you do, oh my, you're going to say, where have you been all my life? I love that. How do you do? You, do you use the flowers just for like like topping a salad? Is there anything? Yeah, in that's particular? kind of my favorite is to, to throw them in a salad, and um, you know, with a borage, you could throw the little flowers in like a cocktail, or uh, you know, freeze it in an ice cube to make something look fancy. So again, you yeah, know, we've got yeah. those practical like big calorie items in the garden, and I think you have to balance it out with a bit of whimsy. Yeah, no doubt, and fun. And that borage is B-O-R-A-G-E, people, and that's an easy plant to grow. It tends to, it's an annual, but if you let it do its thing, it will reseed, if I remember right. It'll reseed in your garden, so hopefully you'll, you'll get perpetuation in your garden by allowing it to reseed. And the, the flowers are this pretty sky blue and uh, taste a lot like a cucumber. Yeah, and it's a native plant, so it's really great for pollinators, too. So that's another reason I really enjoy that one. Yeah, no doubt. And nasturtiums are beautiful as well. They come in yellows, oranges, reds. Um, all of them are gorgeous. And the leaves... I've heard of people, I've done this before too, where you just, the, the, the beautiful little round leaves on them, using them in the place of lettuce in a sandwich. So like an egg salad sandwich with uh, nasturtium leaves. Oh my. 
or you could, like you said, make it look all fancy and go go Martha Stewart on you, and uh, you have your potato salad, and you're topping it with about five or six nasturtium flowers just to make it look all fancy and pretty, right? <laughs> That's right. Makes you feel good. <laughs> Makes you feel good. And you say, well, I wonder what the rich people are eating tonight because I'm <laughs> eating better than them. Yeah, so cool. I'm glad you're, you've discovered the, uh, or not discovered, but are really into the edible flowers thing because there's, it doesn't just stop there, right? Not at all. There's lots of them out there. And I think that's a really fun part of exploring gardening is like every year, try to find one thing that isn't what you're used to. Or originally is like, I could grow my whole space with tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants, but I knew that wasn't good for my soil, so I used it as an opportunity to force myself to only give them a small percentage of the space, and then I was just like, what else is out there? What can I try to fill up the rest of my garden and be a good steward of my soil? And so that's where you just go crazy with the the garden catalogs and things like that, and and just you never know what you'll learn, and you never know what will be your new favorite. That's cool. I like it put that way. Be a good steward of your soil. And that is your soil, people. Grow it, feed it, and love it, and it will love you back. And then you can say, well, I can't garden. I have a brown thumb. Well, okay, work that brown part of your garden, and you'll get a green thumb, I guarantee you. So it's not you. It's your soil. It's just I'm, I'm, I'm positive of that. Anybody who has rich soil knows this. All right, Megan, so we're almost out of time here. Uh, let's, uh, let's recap and uh, go back to the uh, upcoming big event, the Feast on the Farm. And you had mentioned how many different chefs, again, are going to be at the Feast of the Farm? I think we have about 15 this year, and we'll get that list up on the website soon. But, yeah, it's kind of the best of the best in Lincoln and a truly incredible meal where you just walk around to different restaurants and see this unique dish that they have made with locally sourced ingredients. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a record or not, but geez Louise, that's uh, that's a lot of chefs that have committed their time and their their talents uh, to the feast on the farm. Are you going to have farm um, a silent auction and raffle? So it'll be a great evening and a great chance to really meet some of the farmers that you're impacting. I love this event because, like you said, you drive around town, you see our community gardens, but not everyone gets to see our farms. They're farther out on the edge of the city. They're a little more hidden. So we just love having people out there and getting them to see what the farm program is all about and support a good cause. Yeah, that's cool. So 16 Chefs, this is on Saturday, August 20th at 5 o'clock. And uh, uh, Megan's going to order fantastic weather for us all. And I, I heard she put in the order already. And uh, a lot of folks are like, oh, no, I, ha- I haven't been there yet. Well, this is your, your great opportunity to do that because in, in mid-late August, uh, August 20th to be pre- precise, um, it looks lush and green and uh, lots of shade. So if it's a hot day, hot evening, well, it's at 5 o'clock, so the temperature is going to start going down. You'll be in the shade, so you're going to be nice and happy, and you're going to eat well, and you're going to drink well, and uh, you're just going to have a great time. So that is Feast on the Farm, Saturday, August 20th. You can go to communitycrops.org to register and support this great organization that has been all over the community of Lakin and do great things for the community of Lakin. Megan, I want to thank you for your time today and all the good work you do for community. We'll bump into you, hopefully, in the near future. Sounds great. See you soon. Stay cool. All right. Thanks, Megan. And uh, make those tomatoes ripen, would you? Absolutely. (laughs) All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. 
All right, that's Megan McGuffey from Community Crops. Thank you so much, Megan. And, uh, yeah, I can relate. Uh, we've got lots of tomatoes coming on. They're still green. Uh, checking on them daily to see where they're at. And, you know, the, the higher temperatures that you get in the, the mid to upper 90s and whatnot, uh, the ripening of that tomato will slow down. If you notice in the fall when the temperatures get cool, uh, they tend to ripen faster. That's, so that's just a, a, a part of the deal. And also when you get above the, the you know, 90 degrees and above, um, the actual the pollination and new tomatoes forming goes down as well, just simply because of the heat affecting the pollination of that tomato. So, uh, yeah, we'll have cooler days, but uh, be patient with your tomatoes ripening and watch those peppers grow and the eggplant loving this heat. And, of course, your yellow squash, your summer squash loving the heat, your zucchinis are loving the heat. And I'm growing a, a cucumber this year uh, called Japanese long cucumber. Man, is that a good cucumber. Very few seeds. It almost looks like an English cucumber, but it's from Japan. And uh, it seems to be loving this heat, too. All right, folks, that's all the time I have today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next week right here on How's It Growing. And till then, you have a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>